Father, we ask you this moment, these moments that we have together, that you would bless our time, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you have revealed of your glory and of your your ways and of your truth here in this passage. Would you, by your grace and by your spirit, enable us to respond with faith and obedience and to reflect that obedient life that responds rightly to the instruction you give us here in Matthew chapter 24 this morning. We do indeed want our life to be an aroma of Christ and to reflect true and sincere worship from deep in our hearts. And so we ask you to work to that end in us as we seek to work to that end by your work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. This morning we'll be considering verses 42 and 44. So Matthew 22, 42 through 44. And we're turning our attention to now an extended section of Jesus' application of everything that He has just informed us about regarding His return. And the Lord's method, I would note up front, is a constant pattern, and is a constant pattern not only of the Lord, but a constant pattern throughout all of Scripture, namely that understanding truth is completed only when it fleshes itself out in faith and obedience, only when it fleshes itself out in righteousness in a person's life. And so I would note up front that doctrine is never to be divorced from life. Every truth about God, every truth about us, every truth about righteousness, every truth about Christ and His work, every truth about God's coming works of or acts of judgment and of salvation are all designed to one end, and that is to have an effect on our lives of producing worship and obedience and love in His people. And really, those are the true markers or litmus tests of whether doctrine has been rightly understood. In the end, the more doctrine we know then is understood and gives evidence of being understood when it is attended with a life of humility and obedience and of faith and faithfulness to the Lord. We should be more like our Savior in the end. And it's no exception with the doctrines concerning the end-time events or eschatology, which so often gets lost in this maze of argument and debate, and there is a legitimate place for that. But the ultimate end of it is to produce godliness in our life with the reality that Christ is returning both in judgment and salvation. And so this is the point of the Lord's next four parables, really beginning here in verse 42 and going all the way to chapter 25, verse 30. He is designed in them to uh, the intent of preparing His people for the reality of His return and made to stand before Him, made to be in His presence. Now the first three of the parables, beginning here in verse 42 and going to verse 13 of chapter 25 are really gathered around this theme of being alert or being watchful, being, being on the ready for this return of the Lord. And so we're going to look at the first of those this morning, beginning in verse 42 and going down to verse 44. And he is here then teaching us that most basic truth that God's people are to be alert, to be watchful, and thus prepared for His return. Let me read for us verses 42 
Well, actually, I'll begin in verse 40 and then read down to verse 44. And then we'll look more closely. Beginning in verse 40 of chapter 24. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Look back at verse 42 and let's... Note first, then, his exhortation to obey. His exhortation to obey. And that is the theme of the message this morning. To be alert and ready to stand before the Lord. That's the exhortation, to be alert and ready to stand before the Lord. Now, before we look at the actual passage, however, I think it's important to note something up front. Namely this, that while the focus of the Lord is the reality of his physical return to the earth, his his second coming, if you will, there is a particular application to that generation alive at his time. There's a particular application to that generation, as we've noted, who are alive and present on the earth at the beginning of the day of the Lord, which will then culminate or climax in his actual physical return from heaven to judge the wicked, the rebellious, and to establish his kingdom on the earth. However, there is a broader and basic point that is also inherent in the Lord's teaching here. And it is namely this, that all men will pass from this life and stand before the Lord of every generation, of all generations. In Hebrews 9.27, the writer tells us this, It is appointed for a man to die once, and then comes the judgment. It's appointed for a man to die once, and then comes the judgment. In fact... Not only older exegetes, but more commonly and older interpreters of this passage. That's precisely the emphasis that was laid on it. This broader principle of the passage. One old preacher, Chrysostom, says this. For the term of each man's life is the end of the world. Virtually, to him that is summoned. So whether one is on the earth and dies when the Lord returns and experiences judgment, or all of those who have died in between that time, that is in essence still for them the end of the world, the end of their life here in the point when they are called before the Lord to answer for their life. Another, Bingle, has said this, The divine judgments and the uncertain hour of death in every age are parallel to the last day. And the hour of death is like the hour of resurrection and judgment as though no time intervened. So while those on earth at his return will receive the temporal judgments of that particular period, the temporal judgments that are designed in the day of the Lord, the general principle is that eternal, the eternal condition of each person can come unexpectedly when they are called by the Lord to stand before him. And when death comes, it brings an eternal condition about. It brings that status, that place, that condition that one will be in from that point on and forevermore. And that is precisely where the Lord is pushing us in all of these parables and in all of His teaching. Look at what He says in verse 47. Truly I say to you, 
he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Looking there to that, that future time of blessing to the faithful servant. To the unfaithful one, he says in verse 51, I will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There referring to the reality of hell and eternal judgment. In verse 23, he does the same of chapter 25. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And yet to those who are unfaithful, they are cast out in verse 30. And thrown, that, that worthless slave is thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there were weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then at the very end of this, he sums it up and says, One, the, the righteous will, or the unrighteous will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So in all of these things, while the circumstances are the actual return of the Lord, the broader principle and the reality is, is that all will be made to stand before the Lord and be in His presence. And that is when the eternal state of that person will begin. And it is unchangeable, whether for the righteous a time of joy and blessing, and for the unrighteous, a time of judgment and eternal curse. So the fact is that death brings every person into the same crux point of eternity. And in the same way, it can come unexpectedly for each individual. And so the broader application of the Lord's warning here is that each of us will be called to stand before Him at an appointed time. This applies to everyone, to everyone Now swing back around to verse 42. And let's notice then his first point here. To be spiritually alert and ready for his return. Therefore be on the alert because you do not know what day your Lord is coming. The first thing we should notice there, the obvious observation, is what he begins with. The word therefore. The Lord is applying his previous teaching about the unexpectedness of his return for judgment at the end of this age. Because he's returning at a time when you do not expect, because death and judgment can catch you unaware, you are to heed the warning and respond in this way. And it is essentially a call to live in spiritual reality and spiritual alertness. Note first under this point, then, that it is a great danger to be unmindful of danger. It's a great danger to be unmindful of danger. Again, he's already stated the main point of his circumstances there in verse 42. You do not know which day your Lord is coming. Building off there of his previous emphasis on the day of the Lord. That his return cannot be known. No one knows. No man knows. The angels don't know. The Son of Man doesn't know. Speaking there at that moment, it was something even to him that he was unaware of. But when it does come, it will be sudden, it will be decisive, and it will be surprising. Just like Noah's flood that we read about this morning. And so to drive that point home, he gives an example that highlights the danger of then of being careless or being culpably ignorant of the Lord's teaching here and of the Lord's warning. And he illustrates this then with the threat of a thief breaking into the home. Beginning in verse 43, he says this, But know, or be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Now, a main tool of a thief is the element of surprise. 
It is the element of surprise. It is to catch the homeowner either absent or unaware of his attention and of his presence, either while they are asleep or while they are away. A thief does not set up an appointment. A thief does not call ahead of time and ask you to open the door and leave things conveniently placed for him to take at his will and with the least possible danger. No, that would be foolish. The element of surprise is key to a thief's success, that he catches those whom he intends to rob, he catches them unaware, unready for his coming. Now the homeowner in this situation thought all was well, apparently, and went to sleep at night completely unconcerned about the threat of one who was likely at that very moment already intent on coming to his home, maybe on his way to that home to rob this head of the household, his home. However, if the head of the household would have known, then he would have been watching. He would have waited. He would have, in the words of Jesus, not have allowed his house to be broken into. Again, this is common sense. No head of the household purposely lets his house be robbed. He, he doesn't permit them, uh, a robber to come and to take the things out of his house by his own will. If he knows about it, he's going to do everything in his power to prevent it. He will be sure that that thief is not able to rob him of his items, to rob him of his things, or even to put himself or his family or others in the household in danger by his presence. He's going to do everything he can to stop it. He would, in the words again of Jesus, be on the alert. He would be on the alert. He would have guards watching at each part of the evening. He would be looking out diligently and constantly. As a matter of fact, if you have the New American Standard, that little phrase, time of the night, translates a term that often refers to the division of the night into segments that were marked off and assigned to an individual guard to keep watch, to keep a lookout for danger. We've covered this before, and you might remember, but the Romans divided the night time into these night watches, four separate night watches, beginning at 6 p.m. and ending at 6 a.m. So 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, and then 3 to 6. The Jews tended to divide it up into three segments, but he's most likely here using that Roman measurement of four periods of the night. He's done that earlier in chapter 14 saying that he came to them, Jesus to the disciples, in the fourth watch of the night. But that's really not the as important point here. It's namely this, that if the head of the household had known during which one of those watches, which which one of those segments of time that should have been being guarded was going to come, he would have certainly had someone on the alert and looking out for the thief. He would have been prepared to keep him from breaking into his home. He would have protected his household. And yet again, the thief here caught him unaware and was able to break into his home. Really, it's the idea of being dug through, dug through the walls. The homes, of course, were made of clay and brick. And so you get the the imagery of the, the thief covered by the cloak of night, his hands or some kind of tool, slowly digging away at the dirt and the mud, Uh, of the household and, and trying to creep in. Sometimes it was even possible for them to come up through the floor. 
Job 24.16 marks this. He says, In the dark they dig into houses. They shut themselves up by day. They do not know the light. So this is the Lord's command here then. He is calling for vigilance in watching over your soul in light of being in His presence. Vigilance in watching over your soul in light of being in His presence. Because you do not know when you will have to do just that. Stand in His presence. And so to make that point here, the thief is then parallel to the Lord. But not the thief in the self as in his thieving, but namely the unexpected coming of the thief is parallel to the unexpected coming of the Lord. It will come at a time that you do not think it will. He says it this way, actually, in Luke 12. Don't turn there. Let me just read it for you. He says in Luke 12, verse 39, Be sure of this. If the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And this is really very powerful imagery. It's very striking. It's something that we can relate to. We hear in our own time of stories and news stories of people having to defend themselves in the middle of the night or suffering harm or loss because of some perpetrator who comes into their home to steal their items. So it is as an age-old illustration. It's something, it's a crime that always exists since the fall of man and will until the Lord returns. There will be thieves, there will be robbers, there will be those who catch victims unawares. And so it powerfully illustrates this point of unexpectedness. And as we've looked at many times then, the Lord uses it over and over. In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, He refers to the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. And He does that in several other places. So it's difficult to see how the Lord could make His point any clearer. And it is instructive to us that He labors so hard to do so. It is instructive to us that if the Lord repeatedly in multiple ways and at multiple times emphasizes to us that his coming is unexpected that we should take heed to that fact. It's very important to him to impress upon each of us that you do not know when he will return. You do not know when your life will be required of you. And so because of that then is the command to be on the alert. To be on the alert. Just as the man who is protecting his home, so should all people be in that kind of concern for their soul. As the head of the household should be physically prepared for the thief who comes in the night, however he might do that, so we are to be prepared spiritually. We are to be alert and wakeful and watchful for our own souls. And it is, in fact, amazing how many people would more easily follow the instruction of the thief coming to take their things in their home. How many people are much more concerned, even believers at times, and certainly the world, over their investments, over temporal things and the loss of them, but take no thought and take very little concern for the loss of their soul to judgment. And yet, that is the very thing that the Lord is warning us about here. And indeed, he's not talking about an occasional sense of seriousness, moments of dedication, but an attitude of attentiveness. An attitude of attentiveness. An attitude of watchfulness that should characterize the spiritual temper of the believer's heart and the believer's life. And really of everyone's life. 
For this danger exists for all men, for all. He repeats this command in a slightly different way in verse 44. When he says, for this reason you must be also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. When you do not think He will. So the first address, really, in verse 42, is to be alert and prepared because of ignorance. You don't know. You don't know when that's going to happen. And here he seems to emphasize more to be alert because of error. In other words, it's when you do not think. In other words, the first warning has the idea of ignorance for the one who simply doesn't take the threat seriously. This is the one who intentionally puts off preparedness because he knows better. He knows better. So he thinks he has it all figured out in verse 44 and fails to take precautions. And there really is there, I think, a sense of high-handedness along the lines of a presumptuous sin. Like knowing what the Lord said, but I know better. I know better. It's as if he said, you think you can, or as if Jesus said, you think you can figure it out. You think you can get prepared in your own time and in your own way, but you cannot. Christ will take you totally unaware, completely off a guard when you are least expecting it. So a failure to be alert can be either from a willful ignorance that doesn't take the threat seriously or a high-handedness that rejects or disregards the warning because we know better. Because we know better. In either case, he is coming. Now the question is this. What then does it mean to be spiritually alert? What does it mean to be spiritually alert? How are we then to prepare for this coming of the Lord? How are they to prepare for the coming of the Lord? How are we? What does spiritual alertness look like? What does it look like? Again, if you're preparing for a thief come breaking into the home, that's easy enough. You, you set a guard. You have an alarm system. You have a big dog like a German shepherd. Or some other thing. You prepare for it in those ways. But that's not what he's talking about here. This is the alertness for our soul. The watchfulness here is of a spiritual nature. It's of preparing our souls to stand before the Lord. And so first, then, in order to be prepared, I would note this. That you must have a sense of the seriousness of eternity. You must have a sense of the seriousness of eternity. Of the seriousness of sin and of judgment. And that's part of the point of the illustration. This homeowner who allowed his home to be broken into simply was unconcerned about the threat. He didn't take it seriously and so he was not watching. And so it can happen with our own souls. To not take spiritual matters seriously, the realities, if those realities are not compelling to us, then the Lord's instructions to alertness will not be compelling to us. They may be things we agree with, but they will not be things that we implement in our own lives. If the reality of sin and the reality of judgment, the reality of holiness are not things that compel us, then neither will the Lord's warnings. Our affections will be unaffected. And you will not be moved by any of these characteristics. In fact, that one then who does not take it seriously will be then like the head of the household in the parable and will be caught at that moment unaware. Unaware. Again, it's because it simply wasn't real or important. I think a dramatic illustration of this uh, is in Genesis 19. Again, don't turn there. I'm just going to 
mention this to you. You're familiar with it. So God had sent out of a mercy to Lot and really out of a mercy also to Abraham to come and rescue him out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because God was going to bring destruction on these cities because of their wickedness that had risen up to God and His response was to bring judgment. And so, in a mercy, God sends two angels to warn Lot to rescue him out of this judgment that is to come. His destruction of these cities by fire. And so He sends the two angels. The angels are in the home of Lot... They've told him that he must leave. He must get out of there. The Lord, has, the angel said, has sent us to destroy it, the city. And so Lot, out of concern for his sons-in-laws, also in the home, he goes and he wakes them up in the night. And verse 14 says, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They didn't take him serious. It wasn't a serious threat. It just simply wasn't important. They were unconcerned. Oh, sure, the Lord is going to destroy these cities. And so they remained in bed. And what did the Lord do? He destroyed the cities and their lives were taken. And so it can happen with our own souls and with the the warnings of the Lord here about the consequences of being unprepared for His return. For his return. And so again, the final context, the context here immediately is of the judgment that's going to be on that generation at the time the Lord returns. But the broader application is the imminent reality of death. And I want to make that clear because I think that's one thing that the Lord is particularly emphasizing here. It is again the unexpectedness, the unexpectedness that we must be prepared for. He doesn't want us to take the reality of death and the finality of eternity unseriously. He doesn't want us to be spiritually apathetic towards these things. He doesn't want us to fail to be alert and watchful over our souls. Psalm 90.12 says this, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. Let me give to you a, a brief word from Richard Baxter in his Christian directory. And he's, he was in this section talking about the need to take death seriously. And the need to think often about death so that we would have greater wisdom in life. To think often about death so that we would apply that truth of the temporary nature of this world and the eternal nature of the next to our lives here and now. He says this, and I quote, In a word, the expectation of the speedy approach of the soul into the presence of the eternal God and of our entering into an unchangeable, endless life of joy or torment has so much in it to awaken all the powers of the soul that if ever we will be serious, it will make us serious in every thought and speech and duty. And therefore, as it is a great mercy of God that this life which is so short should be as uncertain and that frequent dangers and sickness call us to look about us and be ready for our change. So usually the sickly that look for death are most considerate 
And it is a great part of the duty of those that are in youth and health to consider their frailty and the shortness and uncertainty of their lives and always live as those that wait for the coming of their Lord. Common reason requires such to live in a constant readiness to die. In a constant readiness to die. End quote. How we live here is largely determined by how we view death by how we view and how seriously we take the reality of standing before the Lord and then entering into our eternal state. And so indeed, the Lord could return at any moment or cause any one of us to stand before Him at any moment. And that's something that we should be constantly reminded of. Again, we mentioned this last week, but Jonathan Edwards said it in this way, in this imaginary conversation with somebody who is in their eternal state, in that case of judgment. He says, it came upon me, this person would say, it came upon me unexpected. I did not look for it at that time. And in that manner, it came as a thief. Death outwitted me. Death outwitted me. It came as a thief. I wasn't ready for it. I had put it off. I was not alert, I was not watchful, and like the thief that comes into the household, it took me unawares. There's one dramatic illustration of this. There's, of course, many that are floating around in our minds, but, but one that particularly struck me, and it's back in 2013. 2013, it was a news story, which I'll give you part of. I actually read several versions of it and kind of morphed them together, but it, it went like this. A Florida man fell into a sinkhole that opened suddenly. Thursday night beneath the bedroom of his suburban Tampa home. Those who were there described it in this way. They heard a sound they described as a car crash emanating from the bedroom. Hillsborough County Fire Chief Ron Rogers said. They rushed in and all they could see was part of a mattress sticking out of the hole. Essentially the floor of the room had opened. The brother said, I ran toward my brother's bedroom because I heard my brother scream and everything was gone. My brother's bed, my brother's dresser, my brother's TV, my brother was gone. All I see is this big hole. I didn't see anything else. So I jumped into the hole and tried getting him out and I couldn't get him. I could hear him screaming for me, hollering for me. But I couldn't get him. I tried so hard. I tried everything I could. He said through tears, I swear I heard him calling out. End quote. Now nobody in that home would have thought that evening before he retired to bed that the earth was going to open up and literally swallow this person alive as he slept in his bedroom. If you look at the outside of the home, the walls still stand. But under that one bedroom, in that one house, in this one place, the earth opened up. And swallowed him alive. And his life was that very night required of him. You could say then that death took him unexpectedly. It took him while he was unaware. It took him like a thief. Whether he was prepared is a matter between him and the Lord. But his death came unawares. Now the first thing then that we should note in being prepared for the unexpectedness of death, is that we ourselves know the reality of spiritual life. That there is true faith and repentance toward Christ evident in our life. That there is the true evidence of the Spirit of God dwelling in us. 
a true evidence of the Spirit of God having given us life and changed our hearts and turned the affections and the thoughts and intentions of our heart not towards only evil continually, but to the service of Christ continually, to the desire to know Him continually, and to take seriously His Word. That is the first part of being alert and watchful. To be aware of the suddenness and the unexpectedness of the moment you will be called to stand before the Lord. There is a second category of ways that we then are prepared to stand before the Lord. And it is this. It is to be diligent in spiritual disciplines in the pursuit of holiness. It is to pursue then those things that nurture and grow the reality of spiritual life. Things that give spiritual confidence of His work in your heart on that day. For even to believers, He instructs them in 1 John 2.28. You'll remember that an obedient life is one that does not have to turn away in shame at the coming of the Lord. In shame at the coming of the Lord. But the one who is ready, the one whose life is watchful, that one whose life is alert, is ready to stand before the Lord and delights to do so. In fact, anticipates that day with great joy. So let me do this in the last part here. Let me give you just at least five basic ways then that we are prepared and watchful for the return of the Lord. For the unexpected reality of death. The first, of course, before that is that we have the reality of spiritual life. But here are ways that we then can be prepared for this unexpectedness. The first is this, to be diligent in a life of prayer, in prayer against temptation. To be diligent in a life of prayer, and particularly prayer against temptation. Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Indeed, you will remember that the Lord commanded us in the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, whatever you want to call it, that he commanded us or to pray or taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Deliver us. So it is to be diligent in prayer, to live in an open and continual fellowship with the Lord, to pray without ceasing, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It is a total lifestyle of prayer. It is to be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, Colossians 4.2. But he notes particularly that then we are to pray against temptations. And what are these temptations we are to pray against? Well, there's a real sense in which we can include temptations, all kinds of temptations that would dull our affections, the temptations towards sin, the temptations towards anything that would cover over the glory of Christ, that would diminish or dull our spiritual alertness. There is a sense when that's encompassed in all of it. But particularly here, and the main point of the Lord in Matthew 26, is the temptation to be unprepared for the trial that is to come upon us. To be unprepared for the trials that are to come upon us. For them it was the arrest of the Lord. And he knew that there was going to be, when Judas came, that traitor and the Roman guards and the Jews there, they had come to take him away by force, that there would be a test to their faith and they were in danger of failing. They were in danger of failing. 
One has said this, that it was a danger to become untrue to Jesus. Untrue to Jesus. Unfaithful to Him. There is in its grossest sense the kind of unfaithfulness that ends in actual apostasy as it did with Judas. Who was not watchful and was not careful about his soul. Who was not watchful and careful about the sin and the greed and the things that had encroached on him internally. On his mind and on his affections and on his thinking until it captured him fully that he even betrayed the Lord and turned him over and was the instrument of his being given over to death. It is the temptations to be untrue to Jesus also that can happen to his true children that Peter himself experienced who was not watchful over his soul but was confident in himself. And when the moment of hour or the hour of trial and testing came, he denied his Lord. He denied his Lord. And when their eyes met as Jesus was being Led away, he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because he was not watching. He was not careful. He was not alert to the danger presented to his soul. You'll remember in verse 21 of Matthew 13 that Jesus gave this warning concerning the different kind of soils. He says that one, that that on the sown was seed in the rocky places, this man hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, but he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. He falls away. He was not watchful. He was not careful about his soul and the effect of the word in his heart, this one. And so when it truly came a time to be tested, when it came a time that there was a price to pay, the reality of his heart became evident and he simply turned away. So there is a way to be watchful over our soul that we would not be untrue to Jesus, that our faith would be seen to be real and that we would be seen to be having true dependence upon the Lord for spiritual strength to stand in faith regardless of opposition. He said the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Most likely the spirit there is the human spirit. It's possible to understand it as a Holy Spirit. I think it's the human spirit that he has in mind here. But in either case, the primary warning is against trusting in the flesh to stand faithful. So we would pray then that we would be protected from that kind of spiritual pride and self-reliance and stand with the Lord to walk in childlike faith. It is, secondly, to have spiritual courage in the face of danger and Satan's ploys. Spiritual courage in the face of danger and Satan's ploys. So the first is, To pray, to have a life of prayer, to be marked by prayer, and particularly prayer against temptation. The second is to have spiritual courage in the face of danger and Satan's ploys. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Be strong. Be on the alert. Be firm. Be steadfast. Act like men and be strong. Now each of these four imperatives are distinct, but they go together to mark a godly life that is prepared for the coming of the Lord, which is, of course, the very context of 1 Corinthians 16 in part. He's just talked about the resurrection, that we are to be abounding in the work of the Lord, that we will experience our change, that we are to live for things eternal because that is, in fact, the ultimate end of every one. 
Here alert, then, in 1 Corinthians, has the idea of spiritual attentiveness to the truth. Being aware in that context of false teachers and spiritual decay that slips into patterns of the the old life, which Paul had continually been addressing in the life of the Corinthians. Their patterns of sexual immorality, their patterns of self-centered works and uh, gifts that they wanted to bring attention to themselves. They were not loving and allowing pagan ideas to influence even their worship. And all manner of their old life that was allowed to, to creep in and bring spiritual decay. And so part of it here is to be alert, be aware of neglecting the word and drifting into apathy, error, or lovelessness. And this requires then steadfastness in the gospel to stand firm in the faith. The faith here is the body of truth. All of that that's contained in the gospel All of the truth that God has given to us by revelation. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Be unmoved in the truth. And it requires then courage in the face of opposition. And so he says, act like men. Be watchful and attentive. Stand strong in what you know to be true. And act like men. Don't be timid or doubting. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And so lay hold of that spirit within you, he says to believers, and be strong and stand firm. Let all that you do, he says, be done in love. This is a life of watchfulness, a life prepared to stand before the Lord. Peter picks up on this same idea in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. He says this. And he's speaking here to a people who, in the context of who are suffering for the gospel. He says, be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. There is a spiritual alertness, Not only to the reality of the unexpectedness of death, but to the reality of the enemy of our souls. Here in 1 Peter, the devil, who wants to intimidate believers to turn away from their faith or intimidate or call or intimidate them into fleeing the faith in order to escape persecution. What is the context then of the Lord's return? It's the rise of the Antichrist. It is a wicked world system. It's all manner of deception and evil that is prevalent in the world. And so that's always been a a test of believers, the, the the price to pay for their faith. It will be particularly then, but it is for all. And he says here, the devil is prowling around and he wants you to fall. He wants to to deny your faith. He wants you to be ineffective. He is an adversary to your soul. And it's not just it's not just those who are suffering at that time, but it's to all. He says in Ephesians, put on the or verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the scheme of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so he says, be watchful of that, be alert, be mindful of that, that the devil seeks to destroy and entice People, and particularly believers, those who profess Christ, to participate in the evil ways of the Lord, to join his evil system, as it were. 
As a matter of fact, this very same thing, I'm just going to read it to you in Revelation 12. He says here now, referring to this time, this is likely the midpoint of this Daniel's week, where Satan is uniquely unleashing his wrath against those of Israel. He says this in verse 17, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he's enraged at them, and he wants to cause them to suffer. He wants to destroy their faith as well as their life. And he says, be alert, be mindful of this ploy, be watching. To succumb to either of these tactics would be like the unwatching head of the household who is unprepared. And so do not be unprepared for the Lord's return. So we must look at our hearts and lives to see if there are any ways that we have been neglectful in fear and have that has produced apathy or unfaithfulness to the truth. Any areas where we may have allowed sin or temptation to grab a hold of our affections. Idols that have been created in our heart that need to be crushed. That is to be watchful and alert. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 136 who says, My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, the watchman of the morning. So be aware then that we also have an adversary of our souls. Thirdly, to be alert is to watch for false doctrine and false teachers by knowing the truth. Thirdly, it is to be alert is to be watchful for false doctrine and false teachers by knowing the truth. By knowing the truth. He says in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, the context there, again, and you remember, is Paul is in a conversation with these Ephesian elders and he's telling them how he's been with them. He's warned them night and day with tears. He has taught them the whole counsel of God. He has instructed them with everything that he possibly could instruct them with. He has longed for their holiness and their perseverance and for their knowledge of the Lord. And so he says in verse 31 of Acts 20, Therefore be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And he says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Why does he give this commandment? Because he had just told them that no after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so he says, be alert. Be alert of that. Be alert that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those evil teachers that desire to take you away and to wrap you up in their error who desire the destruction of your soul, not the good of your soul, who desire to bring you over for their own well-being, their own advancement, and they care nothing of your eternal condition. He says, be aware of that. To be alert is to realize that we must stand firm in the truth, in the faith. To be aware that there's false doctrine. There are false teachers. There is the constant threat of error. Those who would diminish the gospel that is able to save our souls. It's true throughout the history of the church. But it's particularly true in these last days. 
Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these." He's saying that's what will recognize those who claim to be teachers for your good. The spokesmen for God. They will be characterized by wickedness. By ungodliness. He says be aware of this. Realize this. That in the last days these times will come. Be always on the watch out for them. These are the ones who love to take, go in and take advantage. Enter into households and captivate weak women. Weighed down with sins. Led on by various impulses. In other words, you could summarize that and say those who are unprepared, those who are not watchful in the truth, those who are not standing firm in the faith. So to live alert and to be ready for the Lord is to be aware of and avoid and confront all false doctrine that attacks the nature of God, the work of Christ, and diminishes or confuses the gospel. We cannot make friends with anything that attacks the person of God or of Christ. And this, of course, means then that we must know the truth. Know the truth. How then are you alert and aware then of false doctrine? By being diligent and knowing the truth. He says later in that same epistle, go somewhere where they are going to preach the word in season and out. Well, they'll reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience because there's going to be plenty you can find who teach not in sound doctrine who don't teach in sound doctrine. And they will lead you astray and it will be those who will ticker people's ears and will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to miss. Be aware of that. Stay away from that. Be in a place that you are going to be nurtured in the truth, that you will be protected, that you will be cared for in the truth of God. It is so easy to get wrapped up into that kind of ministry for so many that slowly erodes the glory of Christ in their heart and erodes their love for the truth. And for some, it is to them a place where they are in danger of turning away. And so we must be alert. We must be aware. We must be always exposing our hearts to the truth and like newborn babes, longing for the pure milk of the word that by it we might grow in respect to salvation. Note fourthly, and we'll do these last ones more quickly. It is to guard against moral laziness and spiritual corruption. Guard against moral laziness then and spiritual corruption in your own life. Guard against it. Be aware that that can happen. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and, the helm- and a- as a helmet the hope of salvation. It's maintaining in an attitude that does not compromise with sin. Are you aware of the temptations in your own heart towards sin? 
do you know and think about and watch against and prepare to do battle against the temptations of your own heart, where your weaknesses are, where you know that you fail, where you know that you are susceptible? Do you know the temptations in your life, in your world, that are drawing you to be insensitive to holiness, to somehow compromise with sin? Is it company you keep? Is it things you listen to? Is it something you watch? Is it a neglect of spiritual disciplines in your life? What might it be? Those who are watchful, those who are sober, are those who are aware of their heart. They know out of it flow the issues of life. And so this spiritual dullness here is likened to sleep by the apostle. It refers to a careless attitude about the temptations of sin, the allurements of the world, an insensitivity to the workings of the soul. And so the unbelieving just embrace it. They just embrace it. And he says here that there is a danger that even those who are his could be captured by some of that. Richard Sibbs in the 1600s, wrote this. He says, The worst enemy is within us, our own heart, which joins with Satan to betray us to the world. So to be spiritually alert and awake is to pursue the habit of life in which we are putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And this comes only when we live in close fellowship with the Lord. Spiritual life is to be in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And out of that fellowship, it is to be manifest by us walking in the light as He Himself is in the light. Manifesting His same character of holiness, of righteousness. That is what was manifest in the life of Christ and should be in the life of His children. Those who are pursuing that are spiritually alert and awake. And it's accompanied by spiritual sobriety. A spiritual sobriety, which has the basic idea of being spiritually clear-headed. Don't be content with muddled thinking and muddled affections. That's the idea. Don't be content with just kind of knowing something. Be convinced of the truth. Pursue it until you are convinced of the truth. That's part of being alert. Don't have muddled affections and be double-minded to have... A struggle within you where you compromise at some level a fervent love for the Lord and you're okay with a ho-hum love for the Lord. If you don't have that kind of desire to, to know Him more truly and have greater affections with Him, that should in the life of a believer bother us. It should stir up into us prayer and repentance and a seeking of the Lord and saying, Oh God, my affections are dull. My mind is double-minded in some areas. Will you kill these things in me? And it is to set on a course then to do battle with the sin in our hearts by His grace. Sibbs reminds us again, Richard Sibbs, that it is the need to stir up the affections of fear and love. Let me quote from him. Fear stirs up care, and care stirs up duty. That is that reverent realization that the Lord is infinitely great and infinitely holy and infinitely perfect, and that should bear a certain reverent fear on our hearts of an accountability for our sin. And he says, when we have that, it stirs up duty. For he that is afraid to offend will be careful to avoid offense and also to please. And so the affection of love. 
For as the soul is raised to the love of God and Christ, so it will be watchful. This is a sweet affection and keeps the soul watchful over anything that may displease the person whom we love. It is then to be watchful over the affections of our heart. To make sure that there is a proper fear of God and there is a proper love to God. Each of them in their own way, working in our mind and in our affections that we would not want to offend Him, but to obey Him and to honor Him in all things. Lastly is this, number five. It's to continually pursue repentance then and obedience. Continually to pursue repentance and obedience in your life. If you want to be watchful, you want to be prepared, you want to be ready, then continually pursue repentance and obedience in your life. Revelation 3.3 says this, So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, You wake up out of a spiritual slumber, a spiritual dullness of heart. If you do not wake up, he says, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come to you. It was a warning to the church. Those who were spiritually sleeping and had soiled their garments, as he says later, they had compromised with sin and false teaching and neglected the holiness and the love of the Lord. And he says, be watchful. Look out for that, because if you don't, I will come when you do not expect it. You and I would do well then to go home tonight, or at least very soon, set a time aside and prayerfully search your heart and ask the Lord and say, Reveal areas to me where I have not been watchful. Show me areas where I have not been careful about holiness. Show me areas where I have allowed my fear of you and my love for Christ to be diminished, to be dulled, where I have compromised with the world. Show me and help me to be watchful over my soul, to be prepared to meet you. Indeed, to come to a place where I can anticipate that with great joy. Ask him to impress upon your affections the sense of the shortness of the time that you have before you may stand before him. I would encourage you, as I seek to do myself and was encouraged to do so through this, meditate on the time of your death. Think about it. Think about the circumstances and the occasion. Think about the unexpectedness of what it might come. Think about how you might feel if you were struck with a disease and told you had three days to live. Put that yourself in that situation. All of a sudden, it changes our perspective. The things that are important are no longer important. The things that we're willing to give our time and our affections to, no longer do we want to do so. But in fact, instead, it usually stirs up in us a desire to think of things eternal. And to live for those things that are eternal. I would encourage you then to think, to meditate, consider the time of your death and the circumstances surrounding it. That will help us then to be alert and watchful and prepared to stand in the Lord's presence. Richard Sibbs again, let me borrow from him, says this. Christ came to some in the first hour of the watch, to some the second and to some the third hour of the watch. But happy is he that when Christ shall come, he shall find watching ready and alert for his return. I'm going to end then with one more thing, this quote. And then we'll end. It's from William Barclay, who says this, No one knows when God will call or when God will come, and there are certain things that cannot be left until the last moment. 
It's too late to prepare for an examination when the examination paper is in front of you. It is too late to make the house secure when the storm has burst. When the English queen Mary of Orange was dying, her chaplain wanted to read to her. She answered this, I have not left this matter until this hour. It was similar with an old Scotsman to whom someone offered comforting saying, comfort saying uh, to him uh, that his heart was near the end and trying to comfort him in the gospel. But the old man's reply was, I thatched my horse when the weather was warm. If a call comes suddenly, it need not find us unprepared. Those who have lived all their lives are never, with this preparation, are never unprepared to enter his nearer presence. I would only add this, that those who have neglected Christ and living near him are never prepared to enter his presence. But the one who has not neglected his soul is always ready to stand before the Lord with joy. So let's pray. And then we'll have a closing hymn. Our Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to give us these warnings to give us these encouragements for even as we look next week and as you continue here, that there is the encouragement to the faithful. There is the encouragement of blessing, the encouragement of your favor. There is the encouragement of eternal joy, joys that far outlast any false joy and temporary joy of this world, but the true joy that believers and believers alone know, that joy of fellowship with you, those spiritual delights that can come even in the worst of circumstances, sometimes because of them. It's a joy that only your children know. And help us to live pursuing that joy through obedience, pursuing faithfulness to you, pursuing a life that is totally prepared, who's watchful for sin, who is marked by prayerfulness, who is aware of the dangers that threaten the soul, that doesn't compromise with corruptions in us or around us, and that eagerly anticipates and stirs up the affections waiting for your return. And I pray for any here who are not prepared, for whom these are strange things beyond just the words they hear. The, the reality of it is, a, is something unknown to their heart. I pray that you would stir them up, that you would cause them to take seriously your warning, to think about the time of their death, and to make sure their soul is right with you, which is only in the one who has been covered by the righteousness of Christ through faith. I pray that would be the reality for everyone here who has heard your word. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Christ. Amen.